Welcome back to What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up. I'm Ryan. I'm joined by... Graham. It's me, Graham. And it's me, Scotty. For the first time, or second time, <laughs> Scotty Poston. It's Scotty! Phantom of the dog walked through my head with levitation from me, fish, and deep as any special redheaded white people trio. Um, and Scotty is our official new co host. Scotty, what do you say about uh, being on the pod now? Oh, this is the most exciting, most exciting time for sure. Would you say it's fulfilling? Oh, I'd say it's fulfilling. I'd say I love doing this. For sure. You love doing it. Interesting you should say <laughs> that because uh, the topic for today is um, should you do what you love for a living? I've kind of isolated two main viewpoints um, just to intro this whole topic. So one answer is yes, of course you should do what you love. And this answer is held by Warren Buffett, who said in Mike um, in Let's see. He said in Mike in 2017, something like that. Uh, people ask me where they should go to work, and I always tell them to go to work for whom they admire the most. It's crazy to take little in-between jobs just because they look good on your resume. That's like saving sex for old age. Do what you love and work for whom you admire the most, and you've given yourself the best chance in life you can. He's echoed by Steve Jobs. And he said in a 2005 Stanford commencement speech, uh, you got to find what you love. Um, your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. And, you know, there are just a slurry of articles from Bustle and all sorts of other places. Uh, Bill Gates and Mike kind of said the same thing. And um, my take on it, and I'm curious to hear what you guys say, just for this camp, is that there's this ethos amongst those billionaires, those like tech giants, just like giant business people in general, that they succeed in a way that like is personally fulfilling so that like there's kind of like a myth built into their like um, status in the world. And that since they're fulfilled in such a way, their kind of company or product will fulfill you um, in the same kind of spiritual way. And this kind of sells the whole, like, um, what I think is the myth of merito meritocracy in the American dream, where, like, if you do the best and you care the most and you believe the most, that you will succeed. Um, there's nothing else stopping you. Um, so, yeah, what's, what's your guys' take on that? Just right out of the gate. Like, the meritocracy side of it, or, like, the overall, that that concept of, like, should you do what you're passionate about? Overall. Uh, actually, um, just into, like, the idea of doing, yeah, you should do what you love. I, well, I hate rules. I hate being told what to do. And right. I hate spiders. Ryan, you know, these are the three things that I hate. Very so, true. I... I, I think I flinched when you first you read that first quote that was like you shouldn't take in between jobs you should go like do you should you know work for the people that you admire you should go do it you shouldn't save sex for old age like you should have sex all the time you should I have agree. sex all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, rule number one I and so I think I I mean it. I, sometimes it makes sense, I think, to take breaks from... Maybe your passion is, like, video games or something like that. Um, 
and it also and so you want to get into the video game industry and you work a lot with video games and you're developing your own projects and you're trying to get into the industry maybe it also makes sense to take breaks from things that you from your passion from your industry even if that's like the place that you want to be to go work in an ice cream truck for a year because that's what you need or that's what you want to do I, I don't know I think that was sort of my reaction to that first quote I could still play like even if you take like that um, job as like an ice cream man, you or woman, um, you it plays into like the larger goal of your life, which is to like find, like the career or job or thing you love, professionally. Is that fair to say? Right, and also I think one of the articles we read talks about um, how your passion is could be developed as opposed to something that you have inherently. So I also think it makes sense to, to take breaks from the thing that you want to do, especially if you work in an industry that's kind of unhealthy, like the video game industry, even if that's your passion, maybe it also makes sense to try new things and take those in-between jobs to either take breathers from a really horrible industry or to maybe develop new passions. Mm-hmm. Good. We will get into that article you mentioned I'm about developing passions. No, you're good. It's all great. Uh, Scotty, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so just jumping off of of that concept of sort of sidestepping, uh, like, in, in the professional world to pursue, like, new passions and that kind of thing, I feel like, well, personally, I don't, I find it difficult to kind of commit to one path because, I mean, there are lots of things that I'm interested in. You know, I'd love to go work on an ice cream truck or, or, you know, any, any kind of food truck really. Um, and I don't know, like I, I kind of struggle to like buy into the, you know, selecting one path to go down and closing off all others. And I think it's oftentimes problematic to, to think that way, um, to be kind of like exclusive about, yeah, like, like, what you could do, what can bring you happiness, what what professional uh, a life you want to end up in, you know. Um, so that's that. And then I also wanted to go back to the concept of the meritocracy. When people like Steve Jobs and and you know heads, you know CEOs of huge companies and things are are quoted saying this kind of stuff, it's it's all nice and good like everyone wants to or at least I think most everyone wants to to like live in a meritocracy that's not the way it works like it's kind of frustrating when like those are the quotes that are being you know spread around and those are the things that we hear all the time and that's just not the case like like there are inequalities and deficiencies and certain people have privileges and are connected to opportunities in ways that other people aren't um and so yeah that kind of stuff is is particularly both frustrating and yeah like misleading right exactly i agree i agree completely because you know with this with these narratives of you know being so successful and having your life fulfilled so much in the way that um like gates steve jobs bezos they all do um it really leaves a lot out of it. 
a lot of truth and facts and just reality out of their like big grandiose narratives. Like I never heard this phrase before, but apparently people like to label themselves self-made billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> just just to have a billion of anything has to require some luck. And you know, like you do you see all those like famous photos of like Bill Gates starting Microsoft in his parents' garage. Well, like he's has privilege enough even there to like live with his parents and start it in the garage, like to have real estate like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> most people don't. Uh or yeah, going to college, like like you said, Scotty, the privilege has to be accounted for and it goes on and on. And I think a big privilege about that too is like yeah, either you're born into wealth, like a lot of these like very wealthy people are, um, like people we mentioned, or you kind of grew up in like the post World War Two America, where there was like a it was like an aberration for like how how much economic prosperity and social mobility um, was occurring, and how you could just work your way up truly. And my parents, like my mom. And dad worked as bartenders through college, and that's how they paid for it. Um, back when college costed enough to be covered by working as a bartender or like a waiter or waitress um, and pay rent, and you didn't have any debt. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot that complicates that. Um, and also, this, like, coming from billionaires, like, there's the idea that success is, like follow your passions and you'll be successful like me and success meaning you'll make tons of money like right. i think that idea is a little bit bleeped anyway um excuse me uh, effed bleep uh, we'll bleep we'll bleep that out of podcast um we've so never cussed on here before and we never podcast. will all of the four-year-olds coming Cubs to us for bleep career bleep. advice are <laughs> right now damn it okay um I don't think I yeah I think um, we conflate success with making lots of money, and especially when we're getting career advice from billionaires, that's a lot of the kind of language you're going to come across, which I have trouble with. Right, and then shifting from that, and then granted, those are all good mm. points. I'll, I'll get to in a sec. Um, on the but the other side of this whole question, you know, should you do what you love, is the no response, which typically is um like super reactionary like it's when what i mean by that is it's mostly like by people who have tried that like they've tried to pursue that very narrow definition of success with financial success and failed um like you know all like the failed actors um artists what have you and they're like wake up like you like millennial snowflake you gotta do something practical like Everybody has to be an engineer, and that's it. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily... I mean, like, it's not necessarily true, and there's um, a really good podcast episode about his podcast, Citations Needed, um, that talks a little bit about that. I'll link it in the description. But, yeah, I mean... But also buried in that is, like, a good point. Um, like, Graham, you mentioned that article. Uh, it's in The Atlantic about... Um, a psychologist dissecting, you know, why following your passion is bad advice. Um, because most people interpret that as like, um, you know, you have this one ultimate thing you need to achieve. Um, but, you know, the truth is, like you and Scotty were both saying, 
you really like just explore and find stuff and you figure out if it's what you like and you keep developing and growing and evolving as a person. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting with both sides. There are good points to them. Um, yeah, and also I should also mention the other places that don't mention not to um, follow your passion, which is Forbes, uh, Harvard Business Review, CBS News, a couple of different places. Um, so and what do you what do you all make of that? Of the other side of the argument. And their main points for the not following their passion are what are those? Oh, um, yeah, like the Atlantic article said, like the fixed passion, fixed interests versus uh, growing interests, like your interests and passions are going to change in life. Um, so you shouldn't marry yourself to one idea. You kind of, um, you should find, explore stuff like trial and error, like try stuff, do a trial and error thing, find what you like and keep going from there. Uh, let's see, I'm going to pull up the... Forbes article, Five Reasons to Ignore the Advice to Do What You Love by Rob Ashkar. Um, most gifted people don't have one overriding passion. The money might not follow. Uh, the search for one's passion can be a distraction from living in the moment. Um, your bliss can become hell once it becomes a job. And Steve Jobs didn't follow his own advice. Um, <laughs> so those, I would say, are probably the majority of reasons why. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are other, but basically that's the argument and the reasons for it. Um, yeah, I, so yeah, I think the truth on, to me is that on one side, you know, you have one life, your work takes up a majority of it as we are figuring out after college, very, in a very real way. Um, so you have to make the most of it and enjoy it, but it all you can't enjoy life if you're poor <laughs> right <laughs> which you can't just follow your passion you need to find a way to make money um so i um i don't know what do you guys make of that well well i think uh <laughs> the mm, i'm formulating my thoughts i think still Scotty, if you have anything to say. Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of, it's all difficult because this is all stuff that we're probably all, you know, figuring out right now. I mean, I am. I'm trying to decide if, if there's one thing that I could even see myself doing for forever and, or forever. Like, I don't know. What does that even mean? Uh, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it can be problematic to kind of buy into the myth that that the con to buy into the concept that there is a singular thing out there like that once you find it you'll want to do it for the rest of your life and yeah yeah it can be a huge distraction from just like being present and being attentive to what opportunities are within reach right now and you know in one scenario where you're constantly searching for what you you know love to do you could potentially never never really feel like you find that thing and you live your whole life kind of missing that last like you know it's always just like just out of your your grasp just out of your reach and then in the other scenario you kind of stop and suspend that uh that reflex to like reach for that thing you love and you kind of look around you and you see 
um, you know, certain things that you like doing, certain things that you don't like doing, and then you kind of move towards the stuff that you like. And, you know, after enough of those moves, maybe you'll end up doing, you know, living a life that you really love, having a job that you're really into that you never really would have been able to find if you hadn't, uh, you know, suspended the, the intention to find the thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, I think, so there's sort of um, two ways, I, I'm sure there's more, but if you sort of generalize and you look at like two ways to look at your career, one being like, I need a career where I'm totally passionate about what I'm doing and I like, this is my place and I love what I do and I'm good at it versus um, I just need a career that gets me to where I need to go financially and like puts me in a, a, you know, gets me the things that I need so that I can have a comfortable life for me and my family or the people who are in it. Um, and if you look at both of those things, I think you can get caught in the same trap in both of those scenarios, which is thinking that there's an it, like there's a place that you're going to arrive where you're going to get those things. Like I'm, this is the job. I know that I want to be like this creative director is a part of, I don't know, I keep going to the video game thing because we're going to talk a little bit about it later, but like, yeah. I know that if I'm going to be an animator or if I'm going to be like a journalist that at this place, that that's going to be the thing that's going to be the job that I'm going to be excited to get up in the morning and do. And then if I get, if I make this amount of money, if I am in this city or like whatever you need, what whatever you think you prescribe that you need from your job you can get caught in the trap of saying it's just a little bit further and never quite reaching it, which I think is maybe part of the problem. One of the points that you sort of brought up, Ryan, that is talked about in these articles, which is that like, you shouldn't just, you shouldn't sell yourself the idea that there's something out there waiting for you. I think is one of the arguments against like finding a job that you're passionate about. It's like, you shouldn't box yourself into one space that, you think you know is going to be right for you. Right. There's definitely definitely a balance to be had among that. Like, there's not, like, one that can probably, like, truly fulfill you um, if you go in either direction. But that's also to say, I think, in the equation, I think a lot of people treat this kind of debate, I guess, if you want to call it that, like, you know, one way is kind of an ultimate truth when in reality it's really different for every person like going back to the johnson o'connor results i had like my personality according to those tests is that i do need to be fulfilled by my work and what i do and i need to believe in it but most people are objective i was subjective most people are objective and like you're saying like you know they want to make money they want to cover all their needs and wants and if a job helps them do that, great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it, it's really curious that um, in this whole thing, it, it doesn't... I guess some people bring it up. The psychologists kind of think bring it up more in the Atlantic article, that it really depends on who you are. Um, but I think... And, Scotty, you made really excellent points, and I think the reach metaphor um, is really apt. But I kind of wanted to um, contextualize this whole discussion a little more um with three articles one we'll talk about particular as graham mentioned about the video game industry as a as an example um but first there was an outline piece written by a struggling actor and basically to summarize the piece i'll link it in the description um 
that even though he found this thing he loved to do and found like you know a medium amount of success he wasn't super successful he was just an extra primarily on like some cop shows in new york that he got really burnt out on what he loved and he loved it at one point but it changed um he doesn't really see a way out of it now aside from keeping on like bartending or doing lots of odd jobs so it seemed to go in the direction of you probably shouldn't do what you love for work like you shouldn't make your passion your job um and then there was an article in uh jacobin magazine by uh mia tokimitsu i hope i probably didn't pronounce that right but her take on it is that doing what you love often leads to um, getting paid less, as we kind of brought up with the attention between um, having a job that pays and having a job that fulfills. Usually the job that fulfills is, justifies paying you less, uh, working you more, uh, and just have being a less secure job in general. And then the third article, which is an outline article, uh, I think specifies that in a really good way. So this article is called Red Dead Redemption 2 and the Problems with Creative Work. Um, and it talks all about the laboring behind Red Dead Redemption 2, which, if you don't know, um, is probably the biggest video game out right now, um, or was in the fall, this kind of big Western game. Uh, so this article came out when the game came out in like October 20, 22nd, uh, 2018 by Will Parton. Um so yeah, I guess before we really dive in, so I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll read a bit of the article first. Um, so I'll just read a few first paragraphs and then we'll jump in for our discussion from there. Um, later this week, you know, back in October 22nd, Rockstar Games will release Red Dead Redemption 2, the studio's first new title since Grand Theft Auto V. Red Dead Redemption 2 will in all likelihood be a watershed moment for video games, a monument to what happens when a gifted team has near infinite time and resources to bring their wildest creative visions to life. But Red Dead Redemption 2 now also seems destined to serve as a referendum on the treatment of workers in the video game industry, even, or especially, at its most prestigious companies. The trouble began when Rockstar co-founder Dan Hauser bragged, in an otherwise glowing feature for Vulture, that his team had worked 100-hour weeks while finishing Red Dead Redemption 2, a practice common enough in the game industry that has its own name, Crunch. Spying a familiar foe, much of the game's press seized on Hauser's words as further evidence of the game industry's awful treatment of its workers. So, right off the bat, um, it strikes me, because I, I actually have Red Dead Redemption 2, as do a lot of people I know. Is it a good game? Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, visually gorgeous. Um, you can, um, yeah, the graphics are incredible. There's an insane amount of detail. I think um, there was one particular example but like every cut your horse gets from like running into a rock is like registered on the horse's body like it tracks what? every single thing you do like even moving through grass um the the detail in that game is insane it's amazing um but probably at the cost of awful work practices and working 100 yeah. hours a week so what do you guys think right off the bat just um reading the article hearing about the 100-hour work weeks? Well, I I mean, so this article kind of gets into, like, industries like this kind of get away with stuff like this in a, in a different way than others do because it's people working on their passion. So it's, like, the idea is that you, if you really love this work, you're going to put in the hours. 
And coming from the, like, environmental activism and nonprofit setting, I feel like there's some similarities there with, like, the nonprofit community of, like, if you're really passionate about the environment, if you're really passionate about these issues that you're working on, then you're going to put in that those hours. And so, you know, so I, I tell people, I was in a bar the other day, I was talking to this guy, and I was like, yeah, I got vacation days this year because in our nonprofit setting, we only get um, we get 10 days of paid vacation once you've hit a year mark. So you don't get any vacation your first year. And he I mentioned that briefly and he was like, what? <laughs> and he went on this rant. He's like, what kind of country do we live in? We're that we're, you know, we're working ourselves to death and like we're not getting vacation days in the first year. Like, that's barbaric. Like, what are we uh, prioritizing? And I was like, whoa, I did not <laughs> expect that reaction because I was like, well, I work for a nonprofit. Like, of course, I'm not getting vacation days my first year. But it made me think, well, maybe I'm thinking about this in the wrong way. I don't know. I so I, I had a, I was very shocked by that reaction. Um, and I think so I think reading this article, I felt uh, some similar things about like you're doing something that you're passionate about. So you should be wanting to put in those hours um, and wanting to work really hard. And people sort of expect that. Um, also, I don't know. That's so. That's that was my what I initially thought of reading this was sort of how it also relates to what I do. Um, what do you guys? How do you guys feel about all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that sadly, what it kind of comes down to, and and this is probably partly why it's the fact that it's creative work that in in concept the people doing the work love. It's like. It, you know, if they don't do it, someone else will. Is mm-hmm. kind of a concept that I think uh, you know goes through a lot of people's heads. Is like, yeah, someone is gonna be willing to put in the hours. Like, if I want the job, if I want the work, you know, I need to do it. And I mean, what that kind of shows is that meaningful change isn't really gonna come from, you know, people deciding not to work for certain companies like this it it comes from the company itself you know compensating the employees for for the work and yeah i don't know i would i would just add on to that scotty that it's even bigger than like one company as you're saying like it's this whole culture and um that like abuse of workers and you know, giving you less vacation time, like really cutting down on benefits and not really compensating you for your labor, um, is, I guess, more so to those feel like passion is the excuse, like you're saying, Graham, like mm-hmm. you love this, so that should be enough fulfillment, so you don't really need right. the paycheck for it, but it's like, I need the paycheck to live, so fork over some money, damn it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, and the implication is that if you're not willing to do that, then someone else loves it more than right. you do, and they deserve it more. And it's really interesting. I think that's really the pitch to younger people, too, like people our age. I think they really sell you on, like, all right, yeah, you're going to sell out to the man and get, like, a corporate job for, like, right. a consulting firm, or you're going to work in the nonprofit industry, um, where, yeah, you might get burnt out after, like, five years and really realize, yeah. oh, I have a family now. I need to, like, actually make money or something. Um and Scotty, you're working um, in film production. Can you talk about that? You see parallels there. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I definitely see parallels. Like, this last week, um, I worked... This was, like, my first Monday through Friday, like, full week of work. Because you've been, like, um, stringing along gigs. Um, to, like, yeah, PA and everything. Yeah, like doing freelance and... Yeah, being a PA, doing freelance gigs here and there, and slowly working up to, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do in the industry, hoping to climb the ladder. And, yeah, so this, this past week, I worked Monday to Friday... I was waking up at 5.30 every morning, working until like 8 every every day. Um, and, you know, it's not always that intense, but there are stretches of time where it is, where like 16-hour days are standard. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes there's weekends off, there's breaks here and there. But, yeah, it kind of, by the end of the week, you know... I was reflecting on the whole experience and thinking like, you know, being a PA and working 16 hour days, like kind of sucks, you know, like you're at the bottom of the totem pole, you're doing a lot of the, you know, you're doing the menial labor of the set um, to get the production, you know, to happen. And, you know, in theory, once I'm, you know, if, if I become like a director of photography, if I become uh, you know, a creative coordinator, like, if I'm one of the higher-ups in the production, then those 16-hour days wouldn't be as bad, and, hmm. like, reflecting on that thought, it's like, like, I, I don't know if it would be, like, you know, if I get there, if I get to that point, and, you know, I'm, I feel like I've reached a certain level of success, like, then do it, then is it, like, more acceptable to, to work those long and, kind of shitty hours or right when does the payoff come like when does this effort and sacrifice to passion this like sisyphean effort like when is the payoff um or and so it's so uncertain and so precarious um that you're really banking on like all right maybe maybe i'll get there you know but you know i'll work unpaid for like eight to five or like what'd you say five to eight um yeah, it was like five, like six to eight. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're working like fourteen hours, essentially. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's maybe yeah, maybe not intensive, but even just being at work that long is just that takes a toll on you. Just being anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, by the end of the week, you're you're pretty exhausted, and a lot of the time, you know, I was lucky because it was only like a week long production, but a lot of these things are like you know, two months or three months and, and you'll have a full week like that, like Monday to Friday and you have the weekend to kind of, you know, take a break, reset and then start again the next week. And I was talking to uh, like one of the uh, like assistant producers um, and asking him because he had just finished a two month long production and, you know, I was kind of, I was asking him a little bit about what he thought about it, like how it was, if it was as intense as this week was. And he was basically like, yeah, like it's really hard hours and it's definitely a grind. Um, And what it ends up being, like the break that you end up having is is like a day and a half. You have like a day and a half to kind of reset and then you jump back into it. And yeah, I mean, perhaps if, if the production... You know, it also it also matters what the production is for. Like, 
the one that I was doing this week was a commercial for Home Depot. And I don't think that I would be super into putting in those hours for a commercial for Home Depot. (laughs) But I would be more interested in, like, I don't know, something more fulfilling, like a, a, a documentary where you're, you know, making some sort of humanitarian commentary or, like, you know, something more profound. Yeah, or like the less corporate. The next great film, like I I heard uh, in one documentary about um Kubrick and a lot of his like work on set and how he would just work so many hours and toil for um um just finding that perfection in film and everybody who met with him like, Yeah, he was a genius, but man, it sucked to work for him. Cause he would just reshoot stuff like over and over and over again in a day and expect everyone to work at his level. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, there's, is the thing in art where like, you know, if you want to make great art, you do have to work extremely hard, um, bare minimum, but, oh, um, grandma, what do you want to say? Well, so maybe with like, with the work that is created, like, creation like doing like making movies or like making a product basically than being creative and like making red dead redemption something that you in the end are going to be really proud of that you've put into the world and produced Mm -hmm. like are you here for and you're putting in all of these hours and it's insane and like you're following your passion and you're really like throwing your whole self into it are you here for the outcome or like the production is that what's driving you or are you here for the process and like that's the thing that's driving you like I think about the theater that I've done and how it was like you know on top of school I was going to rehearsal for hours every day and like going in on Saturdays and then like doing all of these shows and so it's like was I doing that because I love rehearsal or am I doing it just because in the it's going to be worth it like, it's going to be worth the long hours that maybe weren't as fun if in the end we create something really awesome. Yeah. I've put out this great artistic achievement in the world, mm-hmm. and it is mine. Like, I have a claim to it, to some kind of, like, like idea of immortality, which I don't... Yeah, I think uh, it's a definitely a good point, Graham. As a fellow theater practitioner, uh, <laughs> I think theater is different than, like, say, film, like Scotty is more used to, because theater is about the event. Um, it is about putting on the show and then once you're done, the show's over. Like I've directed a few things and like, I've always wanted to talk to people after shows, but then they just kind of file out and you get reminded that like, Oh no, this was just for the process and for like putting on a good show for people. But it's like a one very momentary thing. Whereas I guess a film, like it can endure longer and maybe be remembered longer. Um, well, I think it's the same outcome i think i think the satisfaction is i mean this i've never i I don't know i think you 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 make someone feel something and that's like the thing so even i mean movies you see movie and then you move on the same way that you see even if you could see it again and again it's still about like getting a, a moment of feeling from someone i think at least with creative stuff and you as the creator never have control over like how someone will receive whatever yeah. you do um mm-hmm which is liberating but also like like you're saying it's a really good point like it is very of the moment it is very much and even in the grand scheme of things like you know how useful is your art like or like your game like your video game you make like 
is sacrificing all this time and really lowering your quality of life like worth yeah something that someone enjoy for an hour or two and be like eh, i'm bored again yeah <laughs> I, I think art art is always temporary um i don't think i don't i don't think it's realistic to be driven by a notion of like this is going to live forever in creating art and i don't i don't i don't totally buy that that's kind of what people are going there for so if we enter like a creative field knowing like i'm going to make art and knowing that art what what people are going to glean from this is temporary then is it okay if i don't like the process or is it worth it if i don't if i put in all this time that i don't like for a product that's temporary is that worth it but you could become like Picasso or Shakespeare. Right, know. yeah. I guess it depends on your motivation. Yeah, do you want to be famous? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I guess there's always kind of been that idea. But going back to the article, I'll read a bit more from it. Um, uh, let's see. Um, 50 years ago, the idea that work should be, quote-unquote, meaningful would have been alien to the vast majority of workers in industrialized countries. That changed in the 1970s when manufacturing workers across the United States began launching a new kind of strike, one that wasn't about wages, which were high, or hours, which were typical, but about the quality of work itself. Even if it was stable and well-paid, work, frankly, sucked. Um, and when copycat strikes spread, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare ur urgently commissioned a report, Work in America, about the decline in so job satisfaction in the United States. For a growing number of young Americans, the authors concluded... Uh, quote, having an interesting job is as important as having a job that pays well. Um, and then goes on, employers, as it turned out, were all too happy to oblige. And it talks about um, a lot of uh, internet firms, like having like, pong tables, beer kegs, like slides in the workplace, and the promise of like a fun, creative work. Um, and while these companies yeah. employ, yeah, yes, yeah, uh, do, do a keg stand after I send an email. That's uh, still some kind of fun. Um, and while these companies' employees did find their work fulfilling, there was, I'm reading more from the article, there was also a lot more of it. Even when workers didn't stay late at the office, their jobs often followed them out of the office and into the rest of their lives. Employees, in short, got the meaningful work they wanted, but they got much more of it than a balanced life could reasonably accommodate. Um, so I think it's really interesting that how modern this idea is, even though we talked about art, which might be kind of an exception, maybe not, um, that every job should fulfill you in some way. It is so new. And also, I guess it doesn't mention in the article, but it also coincides with, um, I mean, just a lot of different social and cultural forces too, like um, the rise of feminism, getting women in the workplace as a way to fulfill women in their lives because a lot of i guess predominantly white uh middle to upper class women like uh who's it betty friedan uh author of the feminine mystique um wanted wanted the jobs kind of their not that their husbands had but wanted to like have an impact on the world i guess um and kind of the rise of um all these other, these other different things, and it's really curious, kind of tracing back from that history, um, how there is there is more like quote unquote fulfilling work, but you know there are also unions have declined heavily since then, and like work 
does like follow you at home like Graham we were talking just before we started recording and you had to send out an email and it's your day off like you still have to <laughs> talk yeah. to people in the office so um what, what do you guys make of all this this like history we're kind of a part of I don't know. I think that um, I think it's a good thing that there's a shift in. Well, it seems like there's a little bit of a shift in emphasizing a balanced life. Like, yeah, more so than than a life where work spills over in, into you know other parts of of your life and your day. I mean, obviously, it's not. I don't know, or, or is it that it's it's more it's spilling over more now? Is that what's happening? I, I would say so, um, I, and um, I would say primarily. I guess I also forgot to mention, like the rise of technology um, has evolved so much that you know, with computers, um, personal computers, email, uh, phones, um, texting, like even if you're not at the office like you are communicating about your job or like thinking about your job after like there is before there was like a reason you didn't work outside of the office because because you couldn't like that's where it happened that's where you talked with people there but now yeah you can do it all the time in theory um graham what were you gonna say i jumped in for yeah yeah i i think that's good because i have two two thoughts about that one is which two things that I think have changed and are making the your work sort of bleed into your personal life a little bit more. One is definitely technology. I mean, I have all of my emails show up on my phone because I'm nervous that I'll miss something. So I will get, like, so today I took a day off and I have been getting emails all day anyway that I've been responding to because they come to my personal cell phone. Um, and so I think technology really does make it easier for work to find you at home. And then the other thing I think is also that, like, uh, I'm sort of picturing as an evolution from, like, the a 50s family in their American dream home uh, of, like, your, of the family dynamics being very different now. Like, I think one way to kind of look at work that it, that I think was painted um, in that sort of American dream time period of like you go to work so that you can provide for your family and then you come home and that's your your family that you've provided for um and so I think some one way to think about your job is that it's the thing that you do to supply the needs supply your needs and to get you the money that you need and to to provide all of those things um it's sort of like a a contract you have with the universe is like you're going to put this amount of time in of things that you might not necessarily want to do, but then you're going to get this amount of things back so that you can have the life that you want. Um, and I think that that family dynamic and like providing for a family is definitely very shattered and, and not really the way that it used to be. So I think maybe it does make sense that people are sort of moving away from like, I'm going to find satisfaction in the typical homestead with my white picket fence and my dog and my wife and um and i'm actually going to the things that i create and make and go out and do are the things that will fulfill me 
so I think moving away from that image is another part of why it's why work seems more like a part of our personal lives now. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, b- back then the the um, the idea, the trope is that you know the husband was the breadwinner for the family. That's that was your reason for working, mm-hmm. your family. Um, and where now it's become even more uh, atomized under, I would call it, and many others would call it neoliberalism, in that your work should supply you, like just mm-hmm. you, and like the work will like provide you everything you need, um, which you know isn't true, um, but that's kind of the guiding ideology right now, um, and it's it's curious. It's obviously it's much more complicated going back to like the changes out of a custom like this idea this maybe myth of more um finding fulfilling work has coincided with like expenses going up student debt skyrocketing mm-hmm. um really like um our whole society kind of transforming um with this like with family structures being broken down a little more and everything it really does affect kind of everything maybe everything affects work it's a big old jumbled mess um and uh oh there was another point i wanted to mention um oh yes um like even with this myth of like um i guess you know work being fulfillment or maybe not myth that's maybe too cynical maybe the idea that work is fulfillment um even with the rise of feminism even now in okay. its modern uh, status like it was n- oh sorry we we missed that last part you froze for a second oh sorry uh like even in like through the rise even through the 60s until now like the idea that work should be fulfilling or that you need work to fulfill yourself wasn't true like there have been like people have worked shitty jobs for the majority of history <laughs> and <Yeah>. even like <laughs> back when betty Friedan was writing the feminine mystique like there were uh low women in low income and houses and women of color were working like shitty jobs. They were working shitty jobs. Like, (laughs) I don't know. That's not, that's not, it's like nothing is, not everything is inherently fulfilling. And I don't think you can make like, um, some jobs fulfilling. Like, you know, if you're mopping a floor, like maybe you're mopping a floor in order for like um someone to feel better about stepping onto the floor but like there's definitely a limit to how fulfilling that is and where it is just uh menial and um i think it's um really fascinating to go back to video games how um i guess we kind of haven't really focused on it (laughs) um but to focus on video games how you know for most people like I guess you wouldn't really call it like super it's not physically intensive I would say in the traditional sense like um you're not you move you're not on the factory line uh moving stuff um you're like coding like on and on and on but I mean that does tire you out physically from typing and mm-hmm. looking at stuff for 100 hours Jeez. a week um but I wonder if um that perception of like oh yeah you get to sit in an office all day now and like work on a game like why are you complaining about Mm -hmm. um it's so interesting to try and pick apart this culture um 
I'm going to read a bit more from the article. Um, unless anybody, unless Scotty or Grammy have anything else to add in. Well, do I have a question for you guys. Uh, if you, when you think about jobs and like your career and what you're looking for out of a career, um, what do you think about the concept of like putting in of that sort of thing that I was talking like, you're going to put in this amount of time doing something that you don't necessarily like to do, but you're going to get this out of it. You could think of it from a creative side or from like the more traditional, like fiscal side of like, I do a job because I'm going to put in this amount of time doing something I dislike, but then I, in the end, I'm going to get money and I'm going to get stability or I'm going to put in, I hate working 100 hours a week to make this creative thing, but I'm going to put in do, the time doing this thing that I dislike, but in the end, I'm going to get a really great product out of it. Is that how you guys kind of think about it? Or do you think about like, I'm looking for something that I enjoy doing the actual process of? Yeah, I feel like I I definitely think more along the lines of, I want to find something that I enjoy doing mm-hmm. that, that is able to sustain me sufficiently yeah rather than you know put the time in like grind through these shitty work hours and then have this product kind of like make me feel better about how difficult the work was kind of to put in yeah i think i think the the first way is how i think Mm -hmm. about it definitely so to rephrase your question yeah uh Basically, what I what I kind of understand is, do the ends justify the means mm-hmm. of of working? Um, and I would say, no, probably not. Like I, I'm more along Scotty's line of like, I want to do the, I want to enjoy the process. Like when I when I when I've done theater or done any th- other things I'm passionate about, like I've enjoyed the actual act of doing them. And I'm actually looking at jobs right now. Um, that are more PR advertising based or just all across where like, you know, yeah, like I don't like Scotty, you're saying like, I don't care about a commercial, like really, like it won't make or break my heart. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I'm very less inclined to like give up my whole life to in service of a Home Depot and a 22nd funny ad. So it might be cool. I'm not knocking Home Depot. So, t- sorry, <laughs> singling them out. Um, Whoa, Ryan Rattel, yeah, Tax oh, Depot. Okay, shots fired. Uh, get at me. Um, but I like I will enjoy the mechanics of like you know thinking of a script, um, brainstorming ideas of like how best to um, to like f- to do this thing. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm more inclined to go with enjoyable means um, that maybe contribute to maybe an end goal I have like maybe eventually that leads to doing some more uh, fulfilling stuff or maybe it gives me time to uh, pursue like um, you know doing things or hobbies that maybe I could uh, keep going with mm-hmm. like podcasting for example mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, yeah and I think to kind of add to it it's really interesting you asked that Graham because We've been talking a lot about uh, you know American culture, Western culture, but I've always it, yeah, but more specifically American culture. But even in um, when I took Spanish classes, we when we talk about um, like Latin, the Latin American world or even like Spain, like there is definitely more of an emphasis to you know you um, work to live, like 
you know, you're doing something so you can have more free time and hang out and chill. Um, Whereas in America, we live to work. Like, our existence is built around work, and we love doing work. Like, that's... And then in itself, we're not doing it just to have money to hang out. Um, So I think that is particularly interesting. And that's not even bringing up the... um, the more Eastern influence of um, Asia, um, where a lot of our labor, our manufacturing went to. Um, and, you know, that's kind of displaced people around here more. But it's also, like, meant that, like, <laughs> you know, all the a lot of menial jobs went there. And I think a lot of people in China working in a Foxconn factory building an iPhone where they have suicide nets I wouldn't say that's fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. They would definitely, we definitely like offshore are, are really, are, are like, um, lower quality jobs there, um, and really place people, I mean, and they go there because they can, um, pay people less, it's cheaper there. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely more kind of awful of a workplace. So to kind of round it out, uh, I want to read, um, the last, uh, paragraph of the article and we'll start to close out, um. From designers seeking meaningful work in New York to skilled but underpaid animation artists in Shanghai that they actually mentioned in it, uh, to migrant workers toiling under some of the most horrific working conditions ever devised by humankind, the game industry adapts to the changing material and subjective conditions across the world to exploit workers in the most complete form it can. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a case study in how and why this is so. Beyond the undeniable creative achievement the game represents, it is an uncomfortable reminder that Rockstar succeeds in the way it does, not in spite of these labor conditions, but precisely because of them. There is little need, then, to imagine what the future of global capitalism will look like if left unchecked. The game industry is fully capable of showing us now. So, yeah, this... Yeah, no, great. Bone-chilling conclusion. Um, And I think it, it really... It is a really nice way to wrap up or like kind of mm-hmm. really conclude what we're saying because, you know, this great end of this great creative achievement in or passion um, really is an excuse to work people to the bone. Um, and not just, you know, our immediate office, but beyond us, and especially with um, so many companies kind of merging and becoming bigger and there being just all these big companies running the world. Um that you know passion has really been co-opted and um i think in a pretty devious way mm-hmm. um at least that's the conclusion i come to um what do you guys think yeah i mean it's like the the reason why rockstar the the you know the reason why rockstar has been able to produce this video game is because yeah, it's tapping into that concept of, of like fundamental human desire to or seemingly fundamental human desire nowadays to do something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I don't know, I think it's I think it's appropriate to kinda of call them out in the way that this article does. Um and uh yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I th- I'm thinking about other industries, and I'm thinking about the circus industry, which is kind of an interesting one because it's, um, I think that was always, like, that phrase, I would I would love to know when that 
phrase was coined of like, I'm going to run away and join the circus because like, <laughs> it's sort of the epitome of like, fuck this. Like I'm out of the office. I'm going to run away and join the circus. <laughs> like, here we go. When we all know that circuses are uh, uh, like, you don't want to run away and join the circus. Like that's, no. I mean, that's not, you're going to go follow your passion, hang out with animals and do just make art and make people laugh but it's it's a horrible industry and really horrific working conditions even today i have a friend who um was thinking about going to school for like circus performing um because he's really into acrobatics and he was like i can't spend my time getting into this industry because if you get injured once you're done because in the time it takes you to recover someone is there to take your place so like it's just, I feel like there's an interesting parallel there of, like, we think, almost like the marketing of these, of these industries or these jobs where we think that's, that's following your passion, um, and that if you're not willing to put up with this, these working conditions or whatever this is, then you're not passionate enough about it, um, but it is just sort of exploiting that idea of running away and joining the circus. Yeah, that, that idea really has become marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. And that marketing was the most apparent in the film The Greatest Showman, mm. which was the most sanitized version of P.T. Barnum you probably could have. Right? <laughs> Where it's like, oh, we're all a big happy family. Nope. There's this idea of family in the circus, and it's like, they don't care. He doesn't care about any of those people. Yeah. He's exoticizing exactly. them. And paying them nothing while they work their asses mm-hmm. off. And, like, yeah, I don't know. So many workplaces, like, will, will treat you as family, quote-unquote. And it's mm-hmm. it's really insidious. Um, so I think the biggest question we're ending on um, is what should we do? Should we do what we love? And what do we do about uh, these conditions? If I were going to wrap up my thoughts about this conversation in a word of advice, which I don't know how I got qualified to ever give anyone advice. I'd say <laughs> Go off. In, in writing, there's this concept that your characters, if you're writing your characters well, um, going forward, it seems like, as you're reading a book, it seems like there's only one option going ahead. And then only later do you look back and say, well, actually there was another option or there was another option. But if you're writing well, then it's mimicking what real life is like, which is like, in the end, you do the thing that seems the most right. So I think overall, if you want to try and get into the video game industry, then you do that until you until you're like, actually, no, this is making my brain break and I need to go to New Mexico and live in the sand dunes now. Like, I think, you know, do what feels right. And if, if you, if someone tells you, if, if Steve Jobs tells you in a speech to, you know, a commencement speech that you're, you're not following your bliss enough, then he can go fuck himself. So. Hmm. Yeah, Steve no, Jobs agreed. Hate tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you're, glad you're dead. Sorry, Steve. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Ryan, oh, coming on, after getting, Steve getting, Jobs getting. and Home Depot. <laughs> Man, I'm Apple making and Home Depot enemies. are not going to be our sponsors. Mark uh, them off the, the list. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have lo- gonna have a lot of wealthy enemies by the end of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not good. Um, I love you, Home Depot. Hire me if you want. Homie. Home Depot. <laughs> You're my family now. 
Uh, Scotty, what do you think? Graham, I yeah, thought that was I excellent. Mean, yeah, I thought Graham's Graham's uh, advice was was very very poignant and salient and and yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it comes down to like the decision has to be made based on you know the the circumstances of of you know whatever working conditions you're working in um and ultimately it's about you have to experience it to know you know if it's something that you can put up with if it's worth it for you um and yeah it's 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 difficult like like leaving this conversation myself i, I don't know if i don't know if i'm any closer to to finding a personal conclusion for myself like it's it's something that I think is more about yeah situation by situation job by job circumstance by circumstance it's it's uh you kind of have to decide if it's it's right or not for you um yeah I guess yeah Yeah. I like that I like it too so I'm gonna get political uh with this with my closing thoughts political ryan that's your political jingle yeah i need to put a (laughs) jingle in there uh i don't know how to edit that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um but basically i my argument as i present it is that we have to dismantle work and labor as it stands and i would also say do what you can if you can do something that doesn't wear on your psyche spiritually or your body physically over years and years of doing the same thing over and over again, do that thing. Because laboring at work will always bring about hardship and exhaustion until we confront the quality of our labor conditions together or automate all work and let the machines do it, you know, if that ever happens. And I think the biggest obstacle to that is the culture of individualism. Because uh, I think you guys are right on it, but we're also framing the personal advice in terms of like yeah i got to figure out what you want you know labor you know fulfillment is so subjective that you really do have to um go kind of feel it out and try different stuff out but um i don't think you have to do it alone i think the way to actually find fulfillment is um you know in a workplace to unionize um so you can raise wages lower hours uh, maybe get more people hired so we can have more time and just like the ability to take risks in a safer environment with safety nets to actually explore what we like, uh, to actually maybe probe a bit more spiritually, to have that privilege that uh, I have, at least as, um, you know, in my position. But I think everybody should be afforded that. Um, so I I think it does. So to kind of eliminate debt and eliminate um kind of what our whole economy is built on right now um we need to really band together not do it alone and really reach out and you know i think people will help you find your way and really recommend you to different stuff on that level but also like yeah we really need to band together um in the face of these huge companies that are all built on like millions of dollars of debt did you know that like at&t um is like not profitable as it currently stands like there's a ton of debt like millions of dollars of debt it's running on i mean it's paying off interest but like our whole world is controlled by debt um and that's a whole another topic for a whole another 
podcast, but that is all to say if we're going to, like, take that on um, in this whole culture, this big system that this passion idea plays into, we really need to be together. Um, And so, with that, uh, I hope to be together with you all soon. Um, And everybody, thanks for tuning in. Take care. Aw, happy job hunting, everyone. Now as the record spins around, you recognize this sound, well, it's the underground. You know that we're down with what you like. With what you like. And though we're usually on a serious tip, check it out. Tonight we're going to flip and trip and let it all hang out tonight. We're going to say what we like. Cause yo yo, we wanna know how many people in the flow Will like to just let yourselves go and do what you like What's the night tonight? Just eat food, try not to be crude or rude Kill the attitude, chill the serious mood and do what you like And do what you like Everybody do what you like Yeah, do what you like Just do what you like Get together and have a few laughs and do what we like. And do what we like. And since you came here, you gotta show and prove.